chapters 8 and 9 of Second Chronicles. And I want to start out with a question. Well, a couple questions. One question and then a follow-up question. And uh, the first one is, do you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture? Number one. Am I in the right place? All right. Participation. Participation. Do you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture? Amen? Yes, we do, right? We, we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. I, I, I hope that you do. Secondly, because you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, do you believe in the authority of God's word? So you've confessed that, right? Because those two go together. Uh, if you believe the inerrancy of God's word, and then you believe <clears throat> that it is truth, it is the very, very breath of God. Then at some point, as you come to know the love of God and how he demonstrated it toward us through his son, Jesus Christ, then we realize that we can do nothing to save ourselves. We can do nothing to gain favor in the eyes of the Lord, but we can do everything to prove our love for him. Simply receiving God's inexpressible gift of salvation and do nothing less than learn on a daily basis how to reflect back to him a heart that is completely given to him. Not perfect, but one that that yields to his authority, one who desires to grow, uh, to be a vessel that is used by him in any way that he desires to. You see, the life of a believer is not an easy one, but it is one that has a hope that is far beyond this world. We, we look to someone and we look to that very the very presence of God one day being in his glory because of his grace. And we simply believe God's word and we apply it to our lives. Listen, if you're not going through something difficult right now, you will go through something difficult. That's just the way life is. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. And we live in these tents. So these tents are are breaking down. I, I wish they were they were righteous and they were holy and they were pure and they were eternal and and Adam and Eve never sinned in the garden and all was well, right? But it, it's not like that. But that's a whole story of redemption. There was a need to be redeemed because of the fall of man. And because of that, though, for you and I, as we believe in Jesus Christ and the authority of God's word and the inerrancy of scripture, we know that what we read is true. We can stand on it. We, we can abide in it and then see its truths be worked out in our own lives. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians saying, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
The, uh, the issue with much of life's issues originates in the fact that we are not content. We're always longing, desiring something more, something better. I, I read something the other day, and it struck me. You know, um, I remember saying a long time ago, I want my kids to have a better life than I do. Have you ever said that yourself? You don't need to confess it, but, but I'm confessing. I, I've said, I want my kids to have a better life. And what I meant by that, and I'll, I'll clarify what I meant by that, um, better house, better cars, more wealth, better health, all of those things. And I remember thinking those things that I want that for my kids. But then I was reminded because of this quote, this person wrote this, and I don't remember who, who wrote this. What we should be desiring is that our kids simply know Jesus as Savior. They're saved, that they're walking with him. And then we can genuinely say with John, as he writes in 3 John 1, 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Then really, we're not looking for them to have a better life as far as earthly standards are concerned or worldly standards. But what we desire is that they know Jesus salvifically and they walk with him and they love him. And they desire him above all else. You know, <clears throat> I start out with that because tonight we conclude Solomon's life in the book of Second Chronicles. We're going to have a, a summary of his accomplishments, the famous visit of Queen, the, the Queen of Sheba. I, I think we're all, most of us are familiar with that visit from the Queen of Sheba to Solomon. We're going to see a, a description of his wealth. And then his death. But we know that Solomon was very indulgent. He was a man who really was not disciplined in, in walking in righteousness and in, in walking in the ways of the Lord. We know that to be true. Although he was the wisest man that walked on, on the face of this earth outside of Jesus Christ. Right? Think about this. Do you know for certain that he was saved? Given his life. Will you one day, because you know your salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and you prove that by the manner in which you conduct yourself, those things that you desire to do and, and to be, right? to honor the Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's what God, God says, if you love me, keep my commandments. I give them to you. It's no different in the Old Testament as it, was, as it is in the New Testament. And do we do the same things that perhaps Solomon was guilty of? Those are all things that we ought to consider, think about. It, it's sobering. 
Father, we come to you this evening. Lord, I pray with humility in our hearts. Lord, with, uh, with an understanding of the love that you have for us, what you desire for us. Yet, Lord, we don't, we don't come to this place flippantly. We don't take this moment lightly. We know that the creator of the universe is about to speak to us through his word. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would move among us. That, Lord, we would come to you with a reverence, asking that you would forgive us of our sins as we think about those things, Lord, where those, those areas in our lives that we have fallen short. Asking, Lord, that you would forgive us, Lord, that you would give us clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, that we would desire above all that you would, you would speak to us this evening and that we would hear. Let the church hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. Lord, help us to truly take the better place the one Mary had as she sat at the feet of Christ. Lord, right now is not a time to be busy in our thoughts, Lord, so calm our thoughts. Help us to focus on you. And Lord, to expect uh, a work, Lord, in, in us, in our hearts, individually and personally. And so, Father, wash us with your word. Fill us with your spirit. And help us understand as we study these couple chapters. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the life of Solomon coming to an end here as we again see these two chapters, Second Chronicles. We're going to start in chapter 8 and verse 1. Where it says, at the end of 20 years in, in which Solomon had built the house of the Lord and his own house. Solomon rebuilt the cities that Hiram had given to him and settled the people of Israel in them. And so we are reminded of the total number of years it took Solomon to build not only the temple, but also his palace. It took seven years for, for them to build the temple and then another 13 years to build the palace. 20 years in total. As we read here in verse 2, we see how Solomon rebuilt cities given to him by King Hiram. And he settled, as he rebuilt them, he settled the people of Israel in those cities. Because of what we learned back in 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 10 through 14, of the cities that had initially been given to King Hiram, it's believed that these cities were returned back to Solomon. Because it was King Hiram, we know, uh, that he was the one who had provided lumber and skilled craftsmen to help Israel build the temple and the palace. And in turn, Solomon, as we studied back in 1 Kings chapter 9, King Solomon gave King Hiram 20 cities, which 
when King Hiram visited those 20 cities, he was very unhappy with them. He thought, these cities are worthless. He was not at all impressed with any of the cities. In fact, Hiram called the land of these cities the land of Kabul, which means the land of good for nothing. <laughs> he was dealing with the wisest man in the world, right? So Hiram told Solomon that he had given him worthless cities. The reason why Solomon gave him these 20 cities was because Hiram uh, had sent Solomon 120 talents of gold, and that would be worth about $204 million in today's money. Solomon restored these and other cities throughout the nation as we're going to continue in verses 3 through 10 to learn more about them. So let's continue. Verse 3, And Solomon went to Hamath, Zobah, and took it. He built Tadmor in the wilderness and all the store cities that he built in Hamath. He also built Upper Beth Horon and Lower Beth Horon, fortified cities with walls, gates, and bars, and Baalath, and all the store cities that Solomon had, and all the cities for his chariots, and the cities for his horsemen, and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land of his dominion. All the people who were left of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites were not of Israel, who were not of Israel, from their descendants who were left after them in the land, whom the people of Israel had not destroyed. These Solomon drafted as forced labor, and so they are to this day. But of the people of Israel, Solomon made no slaves for his work. They were soldiers and his officers, the commanders of his chariots and his horsemen. And these were the chief officers of King Solomon, 250 who exercised authority over the people. Now, this is not the first time, again, that we go through this. And uh, this is a reminder of what we went through in 1 Kings chapter 9. But notice in verse 6, and, and these are the things that I'm going to note. One of the things that, that are worth reminding everyone about is how it is that in verse 6, Solomon built cities for his chariots and the cities of his horsemen. According to 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 26, And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. But we also need to temper this and be reminded of what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 16, which says, speaking of the king, whoever is the king of Israel, only he, the king, must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. Again, we begin to think about the questions that I asked you at the very beginning of this message. Number one, do you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture? And number two, do you believe or do you yield to the authority of Scripture? Because this is a question that we ought to ask every time we are confronted with an issue. And we realize, and what's been brought to the surface is the fact that perhaps we're not abiding in God's word or according to God's word. 
because King Solomon knew this. He should have thought about this. should have thought about what it said in the next verse too. Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 17. Because Solomon not only acquired many horses, but he also acquired an Egyptian woman for a wife, along with many other wives and concubines. To be exact, 700 wives and 300 concubines, according to 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 3. Deuteronomy 17, 17 says, And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Now, we know this to be true. Because King Solomon, when he was confronted by God and asked by God, what do you desire? Ask for wisdom. To know how to deal with God's people. He told him, I also promise, I, I promise to give you wealth and so much for the kingdom, right? Now, keep that in mind, though. It's for the kingdom. It's for the glory of God, not for Solomon. It's not for Sol Solomon to accumulate for himself. Because that, that brings glory to Solomon, does it not? So we need to think about that because it didn't end so well for Solomon. Because what we know, what we see and what we know with Solomon is, is that the word of God proved to be true. God was right yet once again. As we read this also, we're reminded how it is that Solomon had an incredibly large labor force, and he used it to build the temple, his palace, the kingdom, and then to reinforce the kingdom everywhere. Also, something to think about is how it is we have a list of people here. This is all in Israel. This is under, under Israel rule. The people listed here are the Canaanites who were supposed to have been devoted to destruction, there was a reason for that. Because they were in the land that was promised to the Israelites. And these were people who were idolatrous. Wicked people. But instead they were used as labor who will prove to be a thorn in Israel's proverbial side. And still to this day, I must say, as we visited Israel a few years ago, you see the turmoil that's taking place even on Mount Zion. Incredible. And it all goes back to the fact that they did not take everyone out, cleanse the land. There was a reason for that. We've gone through that. Well, as we continue on, <clears throat> we also know that the chief officers of King Solomon um, were all Israelites. Um, none of the Israelites were used as forced labor. Verse 11, Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughter up from the city of David to the house that he had built for her. For he said, my wife shall not live in the house of David, king of Israel. For the places to which the ark of the Lord has come are holy. We're going to stop there. 
that, that is, is an important verse, one that we need to really just think about. Because this verse tells a lot, a lot about the man who was blessed by God beyond measure. A man who was ordained, ordained, selected by God to sit on the throne of Israel unto whom God himself appeared not once, but two times. Solomon was familiar with and knew very well what God's word was concerning a king of Israel and the taking on of wives. We already read Deuteronomy 17, 17, and he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his, lest his heart turn away. Turn away? Turn away from who? From God. Solomon knew this. Do you know of anything that can serve the same purpose? That can can be used to turn your heart away from God? Like, we need to acknowledge those things. Those are the things to confess to the Lord. Lord, I, I must confess that this is the one thing, or these are the things, multiple things, that cause me to turn, turn away from you. And that, brothers and sisters, is idolatry. It, it's putting someone or something else in the place that God is to be in your life, in our lives, as God's people. Well, Solomon knew that his Egyptian wife was not a believer. In fact, it's proven by the fact that he had to build her a house. He acknowledged it. He had to build her a house away from the Ark of the Covenant, the, the temple. It, it was holy. It was set aside for the Lord. And so he knew. He acknowledged that. And he built her house away from that. According to a survey referred to on the website Bible.org, titled Inerrancy Survey, it says, quote, when asked if they believe that the scriptures are the inspired and inerrant word of God in faith, history, and secular matters, 95% of Episcopalians said no. 95%. 87% of Methodists said no. 82% of Presbyterians said no. 77% of American Lutherans said no. And 67% of American Baptists said no. It also said, quote, 85% of the students in one of America's largest evangelical seminaries stated that they do not believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, close quote. A leading evangelical seminary. 85% of the students said they do not believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. What are you doing there? Please leave. Do not touch a church. Please do not taint it with your unbelief. This is, this is everywhere. That's why 
I am a lifelong student of God's word. But I don't care for titles. I don't care about degrees. I don't care about initials after my name. None of that matters. What matters is, does Jesus know me? And do I know him? Am I completely yielded to the authority of Jesus over my life? And do I believe him at his word? To walk it out, to live it out, to bless him, to honor him, and to encourage others to do the same. I have seen too many intellectuals, ones that know the Bible much better than I do. And yet, it's questionable whether they're saved or not. You know, as I thought about those, that survey, it's no wonder so many people, even when they ask for counsel, they hear physically with their ears, but their heart is far from God. Are we playing church? It's dangerous to to want to look religious like as if we got it all together. And yet in our in our hearts we refuse. We hear but we don't listen. I've come across, and it's sad, so many people that ask for counsel. And all you'll get from here is biblical counsel. That's all you'll get. They don't listen because they don't like what they hear. And they subsequently oftentimes prove that they are incapable of receiving biblical counsel because there's no humility. There's, there's no yielding to the authority of God's word. That's why I asked you from the very beginning, do you believe in the inerrancy of scripture? And are you yielded to the authority of God's word in your own life? Then prove it. Prove it. Prove it by the manner in which you respond to God's word. Why do many people not receive biblical counsel? Why do so many hear but not listen? Because most people don't believe God's word to be relevant to today's issues. And most don't even believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God. But they probably haven't read it either. Biblical counsel. Here's just some simple things. Careful who you hang out with. You heard that one? Well, I'll give you an address. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Hey, you can argue with God. I just gave you biblical counsel. Bad company corrupts good morals. Do not be deceived. 
Simple, right? Very simple instructions. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Period. So just that by itself, right? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? We, we just sung a song that was expressing gratitude toward Jesus Christ for bringing us into the light. Bringing us into the light, right? What partnership has light or what fellowship has light with darkness? Here's another one. You heard this one, careful who you marry? You heard that one? We are to be married only in the Lord, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. Well, we can also refer to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked, right, with an unbeliever. Oh, sisters, do not compromise. You know, the Apostle Paul, he wrote to the church and he said that he would prefer that you stayed as he was single. Why? Because he could devote himself to just serving the Lord. Let's say sisters, brothers who are single. Is that what you're devoted to? Because that's what scripture tells us. You should be the ones that are serving most within the church. Why? Because your whole devotion is to serve him. Do not compromise. Be careful who you marry. Only in the Lord. Do not compromise. It's like wishful thinking. Well, he said he was a Christian. Yeah, well, don't agree to marry him after a week. You got to test him out. Test him out. My young brothers who are single, test the girls out. As my wife always has always told our boys, they ought to do this. Ask the young lady, what are you reading? Where are you at in your reading? What have you gotten out? What have you gotten from your reading? Right. You, you know really quick whether they're in the word, whether they love the Lord or not. Be careful who you marry. Put God first in everything. You heard that? Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. More biblical counsel. Careful what you think about. What, what, what do you allow to ruminate in this head of yours? What, what are the thoughts that are constantly going through? Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is true, we can start off with that, right? If it's false, stop it. It's, if it's not true, then that right away, it's not true. Out the door, right? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's worth thinking about. 
Have you heard this? Scripture is profitable for all. Right? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All Scripture, all Scripture, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has granted to us all things, again, there's all things, right, that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That implies that we ought to be students of the word so we come to the knowledge of him so that we would be wise in the things that pertain to to life and godliness. Oh, my thoughts, they're not right. Well, perhaps you don't know what to think about. Perhaps you don't know what the word has to say in regards to whatever it is that you're dealing with. Perhaps you don't know as we sung how it is that God will never forsake us how it is that he loves us with an everlasting love. How it is that it is true for the believer to live as Christ and to die as gain. How it is that for the one who has a greater knowledge of Jesus Christ possesses that peace that surpasses all understanding. Perhaps you don't know that if you abide in Christ, you will learn how to be content in all states of life. Time is ticking. It's going by. This life is short. It's described as, as a vapor, a mist. Spray bottle, you spray it. It's there one moment, gone the next. In light of eternity, life goes by just like that. What are we doing with this precious life that God has given to us? You see, God's word is timeless. It's eternal. It's eternal truth. And it is just as relevant today as it was in Solomon's day. But just as Solomon neglected the word, so do people neglect the word today. May that not be us, church, brothers and sisters. I desire to run, to go and to bless the Lord and to bring him glory, to be ready as a people to embrace more people as they come in, that we may be entrusted with the lives of others, that as they come in, we're investing in them. We're ready to pour into them. We're ready to encourage them, to build them up, and maybe even to lead them to Christ. Oh, what honor, what privilege. Are you redeeming the time? Because God's word, again, is timeless. It is the eternal truth. But oftentimes, I see a neglect of God's word. 
As again, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. It's interesting how Solomon had to learn the hard way. Seeing God's word be true, proven to be true over and over again. But you know what? You didn't have to test it to prove it is true. You didn't have to test it. Because the just shall live by faith and not by sight. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And this is Solomon who wrote Ecclesiastes. He wrote this in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Well, Solomon, although he knew that she was not the Egyptian woman, a believer, and he shouldn't have married her, did anyway. And we will be reminded of the fact that God's word proved true, and she and the other unbelieving wives that he took on did indeed turn Solomon's heart away from God. Compromise in the name of political strategy is still compromise. And compromise in any name is simply compromise. Let us learn as children of God to possess and maintain spiritual integrity, biblical soundness in our lives, that we may prove our love for the Lord by our obedience to our Savior, His Word, bringing him glory as we walk in the spirits that we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughter up from the city of David to the house that he had built for her. For he said, my wife shall not live in the house of David, king of Israel, for the places to which the ark of the Lord has come are holy. Verse 12 Then Solomon offered up burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of the Lord that he had built before the vestibule. As the duty of each day required, offering according to the commandment of Moses for the Sabbath, the new moons, and the three annual feasts, the feast of unleavened bread, and the feast of weeks, and the feast of booths. According to the ruling of David his father, he appointed the divisions of of the priests for their service, and the Levites for their offices of praise and ministry before the priests as the duty of each day required, and the gatekeepers in their divisions at each gate, for so David, the man of God, had commanded. And they did not turn aside from what the king had commanded, the priests and Levites, concerning any matter and concerning the treasuries. Verse 16. Thus was accomplished all the work of Solomon from the day the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid until it was finished. So the house of the Lord was completed. So, as we read here and as we've read again before, the, as far as the administration of the temple service was concerned, Solomon was regimented in following it. Just as it was written, laid out by Moses, and also how it was, as Solomon was encouraged, because his father had organized and brought everything together, supplied him with everything that was necessary in order to carry out the daily regimented service of the temple. And all of this work, as we read here, was accomplished and the house of the Lord was completed. In verse 17, then Solomon went to Ezion, Geber, and Eloth on the shore of the sea in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent to him 
by the hand of his servants, ships and servants familiar with the sea. And they went to Ophir together with the servants of Solomon and brought from their 450 talents of gold and brought it to King Solomon. So Israel, just so we have an understanding, did not previously give themselves to maritime commerce. That's just not something that they had focused on up to this point. But under Solomon's leadership, Israel knew of ventures and riches like never before, and we know that to be true. It's believed that King Hiram provided all of the experts for navigating the open waters of the sea, and so they now got into the import-export business, commerce on the open seas, and, um, and so that's what they got involved with. But we know, again, how it is that Israel was blessed, and they were given much riches, and this is one of the ways in which they received those riches. Let's go on to the next chapter, chapter 9, verse 1. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions, having a very great retinue and camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from Solomon that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, and their clothing, his cupbearers and their clothing, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. The queen of Sheba which would be located in present-day Yemen, so southern Arabia in that area. That's where she was from. She came with all the pomp and circumstance that one would expect a queen would. She came with this large royal procession. She also came with many expensive items to serve as gifts and also to use for, for trading. But as we see here, she's described as she saw everything. She was breathless, speechless. She was in awe, in other words. She was, she was just completely just amazed by all of this. But the queen was not only impressed with the opulence of the king and his kingdom, but also with his wisdom. There's nothing that she presented to him that was on her mind that Solomon was not able to answer. He answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from Solomon that he could not explain to her. Every single thing. You see, the queen of Sheba came to observe, but she also came to test whether she was, uh, it was accurate what she was told about King Solomon and also the kingdom of Israel. Is it true or not? And is he a worthy ally? He was, rest assured, Solomon was cross-examined by the Queen of Sheba. What she experienced as she asked these questions, as she saw everything, it, it just it left her in awe. It was more than she expected. She was thoroughly impressed. There was nothing King Solomon at the same time, and this is what we need to think about, there was nothing that King Solomon possessed that wasn't first given to him. 
Think about that. Even his wisdom. Think about yourself. Anything you've worked really hard for and you're, you're really proud about it can be the same thing. Who gave you the ability? Who gave you the, the capability to accomplish what has been accomplished? Who's taken the glory? Because don't think for one second that, the, that this wisdom is not available at the same time that the same wisdom, listen to this, the same wisdom that was possessed by King Solomon is not available to you. Not for one moment. I'll prove it. My opinion. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask his neighbor. No. Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If you are not trusting and yielding to the authority of God's word, you are unstable. Emotionally, mentally, spiritually, unstable. There is nothing of this wisdom that God has withheld from us. In fact, we have the gospel and we have access to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Again, remember, we need to remember 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You don't know? Ask. Search. You will find every single time. God does not disappoint. He is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He will prove to you. James chapter 1, verse 5, time and time again. You name it, lay it before us as a congregation. Lord, we don't know, but give us the wisdom. Oh, here it is. Every single time. Again, I remind you of 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Listen, come to Jesus, all who labor and are, heavy, and are heavy laden, and he promises to give you rest. Even when he said, you will have tribulation. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Come to me, all who are heavy laden or filled with worry or who are feeling the weight of the world. 
trust in Jesus and he will give you that peace. He will give you rest. He will be your peace. He will be your hope and provide all that you need. Do you believe that? Do you have all the answers to life and godliness? You do. It's right here. Because you will if you know God's word and refer to it and follow it. So the queen of Sheba was impressed. Let's see what she does with that. Verse 5. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, half the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your wives. Happy are these your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on his throne as king for the Lord your God. Because your God loved Israel and would establish them forever, he has made you king over them, that you may execute justice and righteousness. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. There were no spices such as those that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. So happy were those who were serving under the leadership of King Solomon, but happier are those actually who serve under the leadership of King Jesus. You see, his riches are unsearchable. Uh, the treasures that we accumulate should be heaped up in heaven. Uncorruptible, glorious beyond imagination, all serving to bring glory and honor the Lord. Remember that we are joint heirs with Christ, in Christ, of those riches that await us. God was even in this moment by the Queen of Sheba giving glory for the rich blessing Solomon was enjoying. And she confessed that, oh, it was amazing. Everything, it was like what they told me didn't even come close to the wisdom that you possess and the riches that I have now experienced firsthand. The things I was told didn't even come close. Oh, you have your God's favor. Listen, she was not confessing a personal faith in Solomon's God, but she was acknowledging that his God had blessed him tremendously even putting him on the throne, delighting in him, delighting in Israel. For such a man of wisdom is, is in the leadership role here on the throne. But she also said that his reign was to execute justice and righteousness. That was not something to overlook. Justice and righteousness. You know, we can fall short in that area. Those people who are in positions of authority should also execute justice and righteousness. But not all leaders are doing this. Unfortunately, I was just talking with someone earlier this week, and we were talking about how 
even within the churches. Um, there are oftentimes there are things that are overlooked, swept under the rug, um, things that are neglected, not confronted. And with that, that church, whichever local church that is, becomes weak. It may look good on the outside, but on the inside, it's, it's weak. Why? Because it has weak leadership. I'm just interested in filling the seats with people. You know, a seeker-friendly church. Have you ever heard of that? And I'm not going to say this in order to diminish your perspective of the person I'm going to refer to. I say this actually to our shame. And I would ask you that you would pray. But can you imagine if our president was tested by other world leaders? Testing his wisdom? Asking difficult questions regarding ethical, economic, social, military, and diplomatic questions? I mean, the same way that the Queen of Sheba was cross-examining Solomon. Well, I welcome those. Ask me anything you want, and I will answer them all. Confronting him with riddles and parables to determine whether the USA was a suitable ally. And it was all determined by the questions, by the answers that, was, that, that are given as these questions were asked by world leaders. Let me ask you this. What if you sat down across the table from a group of brothers and sisters in Christ and you were cross-examined? What are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on that? If presented with these circumstances, how would you respond? You were asked all these questions. Would you shy away from that or would you be confident and say no because everything that pertains to life and godliness is found in the word of God, in the Bible, to which I yield to its authority in my life. And I will answer every question according to the word of God. So let's go. That should be true of any leader that we have. To execute justice and righteousness, that which is righteous and just, and yet we don't have that. For us, I mean, as a, we're a sovereign nation, aren't we? We can't even secure our southern border. Can you imagine if that were true of you? Listen, here as a church, okay, for me, I have a responsibility. I, I have the responsibility of caring for you as Jesus is under shepherd. I need to secure the borders here. I need to make sure that there are no, no wolves in sheep's clothing coming through those doors. And as soon as they're identified, they're confronted. That's what we do. It's the tough thing to do, but they are confronted. With you as well. 
Men, you're the priests of your home. You're the pastors of your home. Are you doing that? Are you pouring into your wives? Are you encouraging them to walk with the Lord, to serve together, to bless the Lord? Hey, listen, we're lacking leadership at all levels everywhere. Men need to man up and women need to woman up. Stop being children, uh, playing the victim, being self-centered. We need to be people of obedience to the word of God, regardless of how we feel. If I responded to everything that I feel, I, I didn't feel like being here, so I wouldn't be here, right? Not that I didn't want to be here. But you know, if I have to be 100%, oftentimes I wouldn't do half the things that I need to do. We just, we need to grow up. And as a church, we need to be solid, knowing the word of God and then applying it, demonstrating that we love the Lord. We need to be a strong leadership in the things that pertain to God. Executing justice and righteousness, the love of God with humility, God's word being proven in our lives, because this is what was required of Solomon. And the queen of Sheba knew this and saw this with her very own eyes. And for her, she was impressed and she was moved to gift Solomon with much. And we got to move on here. But verse 10. Moreover, the servants of Hiram and the servants of Solomon who brought gold from Ophir brought algum wood and precious stones. And the king made from the algum wood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, lyres also, and harps for the singers. There never was seen the like of them before and in the land of Judah. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked besides what she had brought to the king. So she turned and went back to her own land with, his, with her servants. So the servants of Hiram and the servants of Solomon had brought back gold. Remember the maritime commerce that they got into, the ex import-export business? Well, they brought back with them gold, wood, precious stones, all of these things, using some of it, but also being able to gift the queen of Sheba with whatever she desired. You see, Solomon made sure that the queen left with more than what she came with. He was very generous, generous toward her, expressing his generosity. This is the way actually God is with us. We always walk away with more than what we came to him with. And by the way, what do we come with him? Well, come to him with? Nothing. Nothing at all. And oftentimes what we give him are our burdens in exchange for his grace, his mercy, his instruction, his exhortation, admonition, his rebuke. But it's all in love, knowing that his will is perfect. We walk away. We should walk away every time. As we get into God's word, better. Filled with God's word. Loving him more. He's always generous beyond measure. Giving us more than we can ever give him. In fact, in service, all we're doing is what we ought to do as his servants. Again, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Verse 13, let's continue. Now, the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold, besides that which the explorers 
and merchants brought, and all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land brought gold and silver to Solomon. King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. 600 shekels of beaten gold went into each shield. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. 300 shekels of gold went to, into each shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps and a footstool of gold, which were attached to the throne. And on each side of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrest. While 12 lions stood there, one on each end of a step on the six steps, nothing like it was ever made for any kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold and all the vessels of the house of the force of Lebanon were of pure gold. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon, for the king's ships went to Tarshish with the servants of Hiram. Uh, once every three years, the ships of Tarshish used to come, bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. So basically a description of Solomon's wealth. The gold in verse 13 is worth, in today's dollars, about 300 million. So great quantities. Again, the warning of Deuteronomy 17, 17 is to be considered uh, that is to not multiply silver and gold for oneself as the king of Israel. Again, we know that God provided these riches as he had promised. But again, it was not for Solomon, but for the glory of God and for his kingdom. Because he was indeed the steward of God's people. Remember, they were still God's people. The problem with Solomon is that he multiplied these things for himself. Man, according to Matthew 6, 24, man cannot serve God and mammon. One or the other will be master. We choose, right? Verse 22, thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom, and all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present articles of silver and of gold, garments, Myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. And Solomon had 4,000 saws for horses and chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with a king in Jerusalem. And he ruled over all the kings from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone and he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah. And horses were imported for Solomon from Egypt and from all lands. Solomon enjoyed peace throughout the whole time that he was reigning. These shields were all for show. We know his father was a warrior. He was a man of war. But Solomon was not. Solomon was very rich in material goods, and he was rich in wisdom, and yet he never attained to the place that his father David attained to and he knew he knew you see he was rich beyond measure because he knew an intimate relationship with God he was a man after God's own heart we know that everyone sought King Solomon because of his riches and wisdom and they would all bring him gifts when they came to visit he accumulated horses and chariots having them imported from all over the world and as we noted there as we saw there including Egypt Silver was as common as stone. Cedar was also in abundance. And even with all this, the preacher said it was all vanity of vanities. 
the preacher being Solomon as he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. The words of the preacher, the son of David, a king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Verse 18 says, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom. Now to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. And so on and so on. In the end, this is what Solomon writes. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We do not need to test all in order to prove that God's word is true. The just again shall live by faith. And according to Hebrews eleven six, without faith it is impossible to please him. And finally, in conclusion... Verse 29, now the rest of the acts of Solomon from first to last, are they not written in the history of Nathan the prophet and in the prophecy of Aisha the Shilonite and in the visions of Edo the seer concerning Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel 40 years and Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father and Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. Again, I ask you the question, and this is just something to think about, can we be with certainty sure that Solomon is among the saved? And of course, we have to say no. We, we, we can't be certain of that. Why? Because his whole life seemed to be an Epicurean affair, devoted to sensual enjoyment, a hedonist who sought after pleasure, the rich life of luxury, and there was nothing he held himself back from. There was nothing. I mean, you name it. He gave himself to it without any restraint whatsoever. He indulged in everything that had to do with the flesh and the world. But what we do know is that he didn't follow God's word. He didn't heed God's warnings as it pertains to the position of the king among God's people. We know that to be true, and he suffered for that. In fact, we will learn as we go into the next chapter and the chapters that follow that what happened with the kingdom. King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them. Neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, 
So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. I leave you with what we began with. Do you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, that it possesses everything you need for life and godliness? That is the truth and leads you to know that salvation is only known by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe this and do you walk this out in your own life? Do you prove this day in and day out? Again, not perfectly. But is it what you desire above all? Because it is true whether you do agree or not. We always prove God to be right, to be true. I pray that we all do believe. That we all work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that we know God's abundant grace. Because he is truly wonderful. And he does love us with an everlasting love. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are here with us. We thank you for the hope that we have knowing salvation in and through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And I pray, Lord, and I ask that you would help us to walk uprightly before you. According to your word and by your spirit led, with complete understanding and discernment, with, with humility in our hearts, Lord, toward you, yielding consistently and constantly, Lord, to your word, allowing you to do the work of sanctification, shaping us and molding us into the image of Jesus Christ to bring you glory. And again, to prove that we do indeed love you. So, Father, we thank you for this time, Lord. It's truly wonderful being in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.